Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about three times a week. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And on the show today, there's a new movement on Instagram that helps you pretend you've been places you haven't been and done things you haven't done with people you don't know. <laughs> Is this levelling the playing field or just a big con? And today, many places are celebrating the return of a troubled sporting legend to the spotlight at the Brownlows. But is it way too soon to forget what he did? But first, Jesse. It's the story that could be the plot of a movie, but at the centre is a 22-year-old woman whose remains have just been found. If you've missed this story, it's about Gabby Petito and her fiancé, Brian Laundrie, who set off in July on a trip across America. What they did was transform the inside of a van into a mobile home and they decided to travel full-time. Their end destination was meant to be Portland, Oregon, and they were due to arrive sometime in mid-October. But on September the 1st, Brian arrived home to his parents' place. Gabby was not with him and he refused to speak. So Gabby Petito was an influencer and van life became the next chapter in their shared story. She had a YouTube account, she had a TikTok account and they documented their journey. Um, If you scroll through her Instagram, then her relationship and her travels and her life more broadly just seems idyllic. On YouTube, they actually posted a video just before they left and what Gabby said was that this is about creating a space for both artistic expression and distance hiking. Thank you so much for watching and we hope you tag along on our journey wherever the van takes us. Anyway, so they started this holiday and on August 12, something strange happened and some footage has been released. It's body cam footage by a police officer who pulled their van over after it was seen speeding. It was clear that the couple had been fighting. Gabby was crying. Brian had scratches on him, which he said were from Gabby. She said her OCD symptoms had been flaring up and she was stressed about getting footage up from their trip and it had all escalated. The police officer asked Brian if he wanted to press charges. That's how it was determined that Brian had been the victim of an assault and Brian said no. They were engaged They'd had an altercation, but it was fine. Upon returning, Brian has refused to speak to police and then has since gone missing. Gabby's family has been begging Brian's family to talk, including Brian's mum and dad, who had Gabby live with them for a year and they're refusing to speak to. Gabby's family has come out and said that Brian isn't missing, he's hiding. It's their daughter that's missing and they need information. Now, the discovery of a body came after two travel bloggers found their van. 
and they believe that body is of Gabby. They're not absolutely confirmed yet, but it does match the description. I also want to throw in there that this is a classic example of missing white woman syndrome, whereby the media provide extensive coverage of the disappearance of white, young, beautiful, middle to upper class women. And I think that that prism probably explains a lot about our cultural fascination with this story. It is what everyone's talking about. I've had so many DMs, people wanting us to cover it on true crime conversations, friends who have theories. It is all in group chats. But Holly, should we be careful about obsessing over these true crime stories in real time? I think absolutely yes. I mean, the reason that we're talking about it is because it's been one of the most popular stories on Mamma Mia since we started running it at the end of last week. It's on every news site, the front splash on the Daily Mail, news.com, every every Australian site, every international site. And the fact that this is a young woman in America in the middle of, of you know, a a news-saturated time, it's kind of extraordinary. But you just explained why that is, Jesse. I think, is that it's the missing white woman syndrome coupled with our obsession with true crime. Because I am now really ashamed to say this, but as I've been watching this story unfold over the last few days, my first instinct is that it was fake. My first instinct is that, you know, these are influences and there's so much footage and all of the footage is photogenically perfect. And it's all, it's, it's terrible that that was my first assumption because you were thinking there's something mysterious here, but it doesn't seem beyond the realms of possibility in any way at the moment for influencers, young, attractive influencers who are trying to build a following to pull off you know, like a stunt. stunts. Yeah, stunts like this. We we also ran a story on Mamma Mia towards the end of last week about a pair of influencers from the States who had heavily implied that their toddler had cancer when she did not in order to get more followers. So I think that probably explains why my cynicism was the first thing that was alerted, which is absolutely terrible because that mm. is not the case in any way. There is nothing fake about this story. A family has lost their daughter. We don't know yet what the fate of the fiance is but it speaks to the world we're living in the way we're consuming media and our absolute fascination with true crime and I think and I've said this before but I think we need to take a real look at the way that we treat particularly crimes against women as entertainment gory details as entertainment we love it even more if there's a mystery and I'm not I don't mean that we shouldn't be talking about it because of course we should you know knowledge is power about what happens to people and and being aware of how widespread violence against women particularly from romantic partners is but this was gamified like this story was kind of gamified over the past week for people swapping clues and I know this and you know that and then the other social media players became part of the story because the police were using their leads. And you can imagine how frustrating on one hand it was for law enforcement to have 20 million, you know, YouTubers thinking they know more about the investigation than you do. But then in the end, that is, Mm. does apparently appear to be what happened, that it was the people on TikTok and YouTube who solved this, allegedly solved this crime. So it's an extraordinary circumstance. But what's worse, I suppose, if, if you had a missing daughter or a missing sibling, 
And I've heard people talk about this, the, the struggle to maintain media attention. And what do you need? You need footage, you need photos, you need stories, you need a yeah. new break, something to capture people's attention. Because without the attention, you do not get the resources to solve it. And I know that it is so, it is so unfair because if this was a woman of colour, if this was a woman who was poor, if this was, you know, a, a man, whatever, then we likely would not have followed this as closely and that is really depressing and something that needs to be addressed. But if you were that family and you have, I mean, this is what police in the 80s before the internet existed would have dreamed of, having too many leads, which is a TikToker or a YouTuber seeing the van saying, I think I've found it, you know, at a moment's notice, getting police on the scene and... That could be a really productive, mm. good thing. What do you think? Jesse? how do you feel? You know, you host a true crime podcast. Mamma Mia has it on our network. It's one of our most popular shows. How do you feel about this case and how do you feel about the stories you approach? Like what's your filter for the stories you do and the way you approach them on that show? I think that it's about humanising the person yeah. at the centre and not treating them like a body that's an exciting plot point, which I think a lot of places Mm. do, which is troubling. But I find these stories, the reason that I am drawn to them, and I've had to kind of examine this within myself, is the themes and the ideas that tell us more about the world. So as, as much as this is about an individual, what does this, and this is in True Crime Conversations, what does this tell us about gender or about domestic violence or about privilege or about living in a a rural community I I find that an interesting kind of springboard by which to discuss other things and so this hasn't bothered me so much although Holly what I think is hard is that we watch Mare of Easttown we watch Line of Duty we are fed these crime stories that are incredibly addictive it is really hard in our minds to then understand that this is a real person. Well, this this is the thing because I think it's really interesting what you just said and, and I know that's your filter and how thoughtful you are about the crime stories you cover on TCC. But the flip side to what you were just explaining about how amazing for all this coverage to keep this woman in the spotlight and keep that face on the front of every news site and all those things in order to help find her, the flip side of that, is that I think it's very easy to lose sight of the fact that this is a grief, this is a desperately grieving family and this is a real woman who is in fear for her life because I think that not so much now but over the past five days as this story has unfolded, it's been like sport. It's been like entertainment and sport and gossip. It's been mm. talked about and poured over and passed around as if it's like some tantalising mystery. And then you have people like me who, as I said, are kind of going, hmm, really there's something fishy going on here and I think it's very hard to hold those two things at once is that at the middle of this and the police have obviously issued a statement now saying please stop contacting this woman's family please stop Mm. talking about this so like it's there is there are real people in the middle of this it's not a game and so I think that that's a very delicate line to walk what do you think Mia? I don't know if you've either of you have seen a show on one of the streaming platforms at the moment, I forget which one, called Clickbait. 
And it's about exactly this. It's about actually a man that goes missing. He's kidnapped and held for ransom and a video is posted and the whole thing becomes gamified and everyone's trying to find him and it sort of shows the effect this has on the family. But this idea of murder as entertainment and crime as entertainment it's not just infiltrated the news. It's infiltrated, as you just pointed out, pop culture in every way. I'm not sure if you watched White Lotus. That was another great show. It was a drama, sort of comedy, at a really fancy hotel in Hawaii, at a really fancy resort. And I was listening to an interview with the executive producer and the writer, and he said that he was kind of asked by the network when he sold the show to put a murder at the start. So the actual show opens, the opening scene is of a guy at an airport and a body is being loaded onto a plane. And he says, oh, I'm just back from my honeymoon. And then it flashes back. because, And so the whole season you wonder who who was the who was killed. And even some of my favourite books that I read, Leanne Moriarty, I'm reading Apples Never Fall, Sally Hepworth, yeah. our friend, her books, the new one called The Younger Wife. At a lot of them, there is a disappearance, there's a murder, there's a crime. It's become table stakes. You're right. It's like, why do we need that to keep us interested? Because of the attention economy, because we are being Mm -hmm. pulled in one million different directions to keep our attention has never been harder. And so with White Lotus, it's like, how can we make the stakes as high as they can possibly be to keep someone there? And it works. You know, it, it kept me engaged in White Lotus. It keeps me engaged in the books that I read. And I suppose this is also about what happens when we have more celebrities than ever before because we know that for a news story to work, that for someone to care about someone who is missing, the number one thing you need is a photograph. What happens when you have an Instagram account with thousands and you have so much footage to is really Is that what keep... you think made the difference? Because what you say yes. about that, yeah, it's it's the footage, isn't it? And it's it's the, the footage, but it's also, and this is a, a theme that I think has run through it, is that the aspirational lifestyle that she was living with this gorgeous fiancé and going, you know, I'm living my dream, this is everything I want to be, and then to see this sinister turn, we were invited into their trip. Like, See, it's funny because I haven't been across this story at all. I've seen it, but I haven't clicked on any headlines. And I actually, because of the amount of coverage it's generated, I thought she was Australian. Mm. And when in our morning meeting, when you guys said, no, 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 she's an American, I'm like, is there an Australian angle? Because the amount Why is it of coverage else? I've seen mm. has is out of totally out of proportion. Yeah it's, I, yeah. it's because the channel exists. It's because the body cam footage exists. And it's because it has been kept alive by TikTok, by YouTube, by people sharing the information that that they have. Hi, this is Tara from Brisbane and this is a message for Mamma Mia Out Loud. Just wanted to thank you girls for all the podcasts that you create. I've listened to the entire back catalogue of Mamma Mia Out Loud. I have the luxury of being able to listen at work. I work in the garden centre out the back in propagation and so I can listen for up to six hours at a time to podcasts and music and I love it. You make me laugh, you make me cry and everything in between. Keep up the great work. Have you heard of Stolen Stories? It's 
actually a website and the motto of this site is democratizing clout. And what you do is that you go on and they've got all of these different Instagram stories of like restaurants. So they're, you know, if you've ever been into a restaurant and filmed the whole experience and when the dishes come to the table and you do the close-ups. And there's um, restaurants in, you know, in every city in Australia that are like the go-to restaurants. Yeah, and and around the world. Yes, yes, and you need a picture there. All over the world. And you go to this website and you download them and then you upload them to your own stories to make it look like you were there. And what they say is... You can flex like those suckers who paid $100 for one scallop on a 20-inch plate. <laughs> <laughs> and they it's a really interesting idea because at first when I heard about it, I thought it was that, you know, you, sometimes we repost a meme and you attribute it to where you post it. You didn't create it, but, you know, you say I got it from here and it sort of – it enhances your brand without you plagiarising, I guess. But this isn't about plagiarising. It's actually there for the sole purpose of – people stealing them so it's not stealing the footage of people who are already on Instagram Mm. it's like a library of footage basically it's like going to Getty Images and being like hot boyfriend and then you find someone and you're like here's my boyfriend exactly yeah they have this written manifesto because it's quite rogue that talks about their mission and they say Social media is inherently performative. Because performance occurs in the real world, the ability to perform hinges in large part on the material conditions of the performer. The more material wealth a user has access to, the higher the potential ceiling of their representation of their life. Constructed lifestyles are expensive. That is to say, clout correlates with wealth. It's very you, Jessie, because it's it's kind mm. of communist in its in its Love vibes. It. And it sort of goes on and on and on. It's a bit of fun. It doesn't cost anything to download the images and then upload them again. Jessie, do you think it's a bit clever or is it a bit dumb? And would you do it? I love it. I love everything about what it stands for. I don't think we talk enough about class generally as a communist. And I am joking, by the way. I am not a communist, just for anyone out there who really thinks that. I just think things could be a little fairer. When we talk about diversity and inclusion, you're right. People talk about skin colour, sexuality, gender, uh, identity, but rarely about class. Class. and, And I think that it's because class can be seen, but it also can't. Like it's, it's a little bit more invisible, but I think it is very insidious. And it, I mean, the way in which it prevents people from accessing certain things, I I just think that we don't talk about it enough. And so to have this that has, I'm imagining, you know, there are these lovely restaurants in Bondi and I might be home on a Saturday night watching TV and I see a girl's lunch. There's always like 53 girls at a table. And I'm like, who knows 53 women to go and have a lunch? It's not even anyone's birthday. They just go to this restaurant on a Saturday and take a photo and you get this mad FOMO and then you go, that would have been 150 bucks a head. Like how are you just affording that on your average weekend? And I don't think we were ever meant to know how the other half lived. I think that when we evolved in tribes, 
we didn't need to know that the other tribe had three times as much food as us because that would have hurt our feelings. We just Hull, knew do you about remember that tribe. show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? <laughs> I do. It had do. this guy who spoke in an English accent like that, and he it was he'd go into someone's house and he'd look at you know Joan Collins's house, and that's as much as you could get. But now that's what Instagram is, isn't it? Exactly, and it is so performative, and it is so about wealth, and it means that. You can't curate a certain image of yourself if you can't afford certain luxuries. So I kind of love it. I hope no one's using it seriously because it's also incredibly sad. Um, (laughs) But I love the idea. I don't understand it. Like even a tiny bit, I don't understand it because, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm a class warrior from way back growing up (laughs) the way I did and where I did. What I don't understand is I don't understand how appearing to be there is as important as being there. Do you know what I mean? Like I entirely get what you're saying, Jesse, about like there is a level of privilege and access to being having that lunch down at Woolloomooloo in the days that people could do such things in Sydney or at some very fancy restaurant on the quay or whatever it is. I understand the cachet, but what is the purpose of pretending? Are we trying to get a job? Are we trying to break into a social set that we're not allowed to be in? Yes. Are we trying to get followers? Like at some point Mm. we're going to be busted for those things. I have a question. Isn't it the same hole as the people who facetune their images who aren't professional models or actresses or anything? I've never understood the point of that because purely it's about making someone else feel feel inadequate is that what it is well and not even that but you're gonna get busted like if you get a job because you look a certain way on Instagram and then you turn up to do that job and you don't look anything like that Mm. you're gonna get busted just in the same way that if you pretend you went to the fanciest school in Sydney and you pretend that you can dine out every day at this place and that place and that place, at some point that's going to come undone, right? So but it's, it's the, the word, and this is what I love about it, the word clout. It just means... Influence, which is influence. It's influence and it means that when you show up somewhere, people are like, oh, she's the girl who's at Toddy's every weekend. Look at her. She's got all her mates. She's got all the money in the world. But, or- but, but you know what would be a better democratisation of that is to not give any status to that shit. Like, mm. as I like, what I like particularly is their mission statement about like those suckers who paid $100 for one scallop <laughs> on a 20-inch plate. Is It's like surely the authenticity of being able to say, mate, I am never spending my hard-earned $100 on that. And not necessarily talking about myself because I can easily be sucked into a $100 scallop if I think it's going to be, you know, next level amazing and it's my very significant birthday. But it's more of that idea of like, why are we playing into, if this is subversive, why are we playing into the idea that it matters? Because it holds no power if everyone can fake it. It's like with the Kardashians. It's like the Kardashians, right? They get their faces and they have Kardashian faces. Everyone has face tune. Everyone looks like a Kardashian. Why do you have to be a Kardashian anymore if you can just fake it on the internet and you have access to everything the Kardashians do? So why but does a lunch... Don't. I know, you know you don't, but if everyone can go to that very exclusive restaurant on a Saturday and post a picture of it, then how do you know which one's real? I think it maintains the status quo because I can look as much like Kimmy K as I want to with my filter. Actually, I can't, but let's pretend (laughs) I could with my filters. But I can't get the governor of California on the phone to negate somebody's death sentence. Kim Kardashian can. 
You know, like the rich and powerful people who are lunching every day are still making all the decisions, running the world, have the ear of the politicians, do all that stuff. And just because I might look like I can afford the entree, that ain't getting me anywhere. Just no, because I- Holly has a black blanket that she can throw over her head doesn't mean she gets invited <laughs> to the Met Ball. Exactly. Neither of you two have ever attempted to court on social media and it shows, right? <laughs> when I was trying to get the attention of uh, boys that I I wanted to sh- And you know this. You know that when you're trying to get the attention of a person you like, boy or girl, woman or man, you have to pretend you're really busy and you have lots of friends and your life's really yes, interesting. Yes, yes, right? true. yes. true. So yes. what you might want to do, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm sitting at home, I'm going for a walk with my mum, mm. I'm having a coffee with my dad. That's not cool. Got Maccas via Deliveroo. Exactly. Again. It's, it's, <laughs> exactly. It's sad. So what you need to do is pretend that you had 11 plans set up at very fancy places. Maybe you pretend that you were on another date. because so it's you purely are... FOMO. Yes. Right. Yes. Purely about make... seeding insecurity and jealousy in others. In others. Yes, which oh. is a, a, it's what life's all about. It also makes catfishing really easy. Oh. You can pretend to be somebody you're not with, with even more ease. You know what it reminded me of? When I was in primary school, a friend of mine went away for the summer holidays and she came back and she said, I met a boy and we're in love. And I was like, oh. Show Sounds like photo. the start of Greece. Yes. Yeah, yes, it does. Love she, it. She, um, she showed me a photo and I was like, that's weird. It's a really shiny photo and it was a weird cutout. And I was like, oh, oh no. he looks really cute. It was kind of side on. It looked like he was sitting at a kitchen table. Anyway, I was like, he's really, really cute. My friend's going to kill me for telling this story. And then a month later, I was in the hairdresser and I was flicking through a magazine. And that was a photo of the boy. And she'd cut it out of a magazine to prove to us all that she found a boyfriend on her summer holiday. That is what this is. It's exactly what this is. It is cutting a photo out of a magazine and being like, look at the fancy dinner I had. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. I want to talk about the Brownlow Medal. It happened last night in a couple of different places, Perth, Brisbane, places where it didn't have to be a picnic with only five vaccinated people I at it. I was so confused seeing that footage because it looked like, I was like, wait, is this old footage from the... from The pre-times? Yeah, the pre-times because <laughs> no one was wearing masks. They were in black tie. There was red carpets. I was so confused. It was held in places where that is permitted, oh. if not encouraged. So... The Brownlow, for anyone who doesn't know, is AFL's biggest night. So the um, the next one will be coming up, which is the Dally M, which is the NRL's biggest night. It's basically their awards night. You get voted. The big thing is who's going to win the Brownlow, which is the vote for best and fairest. It's peer voted. And generally they celebrate the sport before the end of everything and the finals, which is about to come. There are always lots of stories out of the Brownlow about dresses, about who was there with who, whatever. One of the most talked about things from last night's Brownlows was the attendance of Ben Cousins. Now, 
If you don't know that name, he is one of the most revered footballers of all time in Australia because he's widely regarded to be one of the most naturally gifted AFL players who's ever set foot on an oval. But he is also very famously struggled with a very serious drug addiction for well over a decade. He hasn't really played for 10 years and he hasn't been at the Brownlow for 10 years. Instead, he's kind of become a bit of a sideshow for years and years now of like, oh, he's on the wagon, he's off the wagon, he's getting arrested, he's in jail, so on and so forth. And he's usually used as the kind of cautionary pin-up tale of squandered talent and, you know, great guy gone bad. Now, he got out of prison, Ben Cousins, I think now probably about a bit less than a year ago. And since then, he really does seem to have turned his life around. So he is clean. He is doing, well, I mean, I can't verify that, but he, is, he appears to be clean. He is doing a lot of work with a local football club in Perth that mostly supports young Indigenous players, players who've been in prison. He's doing, he's really trying very hard to rehabilitate himself and his image and to convince people that he has shifted and that's why he was at the Brownlow. Now, before I say what I'm about to say, which is that I think maybe we're a little too fast to move on in this tale, I want to make it very clear that I understand that it is a triumph to come out of addiction and that it's an incredibly difficult thing to do and that for anyone who's ever loved anybody who has been there, and, and I'm one of those people, it is an incredibly difficult journey. It's up, it's down, it looks like it's right, it looks like it's wrong, it, and he deserves all the support for that that he has earned. But he wasn't in prison for drugs charges. He was in prison for the second time for stalking. He stalked the mother of his two children. He had breached a family violence order against her more than 20 times. He had called her over and over and over again, the number of calls climbing into the thousands. This was all said in court. Mm. This is all on the record. He'd threatened to kill her. She had to move house in secret, afraid for the safety of her children. The last time he was in prison, in 2017, it was for the same thing, breaching violence orders. He had he was accused of years and years of terrorising behaviour, terrifying behaviour. all of this. He said to her, and this was in court, that he was going to kill her. I'm going to take your life and your freedom and the things you love the most. He said oh that God. he was going to bury her in her car where she would survive for a couple of days and then he would bring the kids to play so that you can hear them but you're not able to get to Oh, them. my God. So this wasn't like... This was a sustained campaign against her. Now, again, he's done his time in prison. He served his time in prison twice on this. And I want to make the point that it's possible to have a lot of empathy for someone who's going through all the psychosis and issues associated with addiction, but still prioritise the protection of the women and children mm, around them. Mm -hmm. Violence orders exist for a reason. It's no small thing mm. to break a family violence order. We all could reel off the names of women, mm -hmm. including Hannah Clark, for example, who had family violence orders. They're called different things in different states, but who had family violence orders out against the men who killed them. So the thing that I find so disheartening when I see the words legend and triumphant comeback and standing ovations given to men like Ben Cousins. Wow. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't encourage people to move on from their darkest moments. I think we should. And I think we should support that. But 
when we publicly celebrate people who have been convicted and served time on crimes that are so dangerous to women and we know that in real lives we would all know women who have been through relationships like this where they're terrorized by unpredictable partners partners who are going through a lot we would all know those women we know that the outcomes can be mm-hmm. varied and different and it feels sometimes when we're looking at this guy on the red carpet or a certain number of guys who are currently on reality television shows and being celebrated and having a cry and talking about their dark moments that everybody goes mate you deserve a second chance, that they get kind of scooped up by the brotherhood and protected mm-hmm. and reimagined in a way that I just think we shouldn't lose sight of how dangerous family violence is when we're rewriting these redemption stories. <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, yes, Sam Burgess. I don't think we afford women the same sort of space to have these redemption stories. I I, I think that we... I can't think of a lot of women who need to be redeemed from threatening partner violence. Yeah. So, and you're right. So we don't, women who are accused of far, 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 far less serious Mm. crimes aren't given that no. space and, and that applause yeah. to be redeemed. And Michelle Laurie made a, a really good point about how men provide a level of camaraderie and a level of brotherhood, which you just spoke to, that women don't necessarily, and it might be because women are scared, that women feel like they have to call each other out more, mm-hmm. that women have to criticise each other more so that they stay on the right side of you know, the media line. We might do it privately. I think we do it very well privately, but publicly is another Exactly, exactly. Whereas men don't call each other out. What I always want to know when I'm seeing these redemption stories play out is where are the women? You know, where are the women who who were made, whose lives were devastated by these men's actions? And I'm, again, it's really important to say that if somebody has done time behind bars or, or or for whatever reason or been stood down for their job or all those things. I'm not suggesting that forevermore they shouldn't be allowed to leave their house, get a job, do whatever. Like that's not what I'm suggesting. But how do the women feel who mm-hmm. had their lives threatened or were massively disrespected or assaulted or you know, lived in fear of these guys who just have to, sometimes it seems, shed a few tears say I'm sorry, say I made a mistake, say I'm back and get applauded for it. Where are they? Because I have a feeling that they are probably not Not being celebrated and supported in that way and they're probably still not feeling particularly safe. Sam Burgess has been on SAS and he had this redemption arc, I suppose, where he was speaking to... Do you call him the commander, dude? That's the weirdest show. So SAS Australia, if you haven't watched it, is a reality show where they take basically notorious celebrities mm. and they try and break know, them with a few fillers, mm. and then they send them to the you know SAS boot camp, and then they have these in quote marks interrogations, which are just basically a way for them to you know Chappelle Corby talk about what happened to her or Sam Burgess talk about what happened to him and 
Yeah, go on, Jesse. Yeah. It's just I've I've haven't been able to look at any of that coverage or watch this show because I've just been so appalled that he's been in it. Yeah, and it's a redemption arc. And what I think has bothered people about Sam Burgess is that he's acknowledged that there was infidelity in their marriage, which there clearly was. But Phoebe Burgess has alleged a lot more than that, that there was violence. That's an allegation. He fiercely denies it. But he is on television with this lens of empathy mm. towards him that I think is really problematic and it also makes me think about how differently we perceive male and female mental health. So for him, I think we feel really what what they're attempting to do is make him a figure of sympathy. Same with Ben Cousins where we go, oh, they're just lost. They're lost mm-hmm. and there's addiction and there's mental health issues and good on him for speaking about his feelings because it's really hard for him to speak about his feelings and maybe this way he'll get better. Let's not forget that Christian Porter, when his mental health was put out there as like he's not coping because he's been accused of something, it made him far more believable. And his alleged victim, who's no longer with us, she was seen as unreliable and someone who couldn't be trusted. And I don't Because of her mental health. Because of her mental health. And I think that we don't care about women in the same way even exactly. when they're whether it's on trial or whether they've you know done something regrettable as men call it we just don't have the same amount of compassion it's incredibly complicated in that in this particular culture of the sporting world that Burgess and Cousins belong to and so many others in fact as we're talking right now I just got a news alert on my phone NRL star in Queensland charged with bashing his girlfriend last night at two o'clock in the morning anyway this is a real issue and we need to look at it and we need to look at the reasons why these men doing it so I understand why their voices are important I'm not I don't think that they should be shut out of all conversations or Mm. pushed away their voices are all we hear. Their voices are all we hear. And Hull, I think that the common denominator here is sporting heroes. We won't forgive a politician anything. We won't necessarily even forgive an actor or a pop star anything. But if you are a, a male sporting hero in Australia, you will be forgiven anything. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can come back because... That's what we, it says so much about our values. That's what Australia values. And I was thinking about that SAS show and what Candace Warner went through in that interrogation room. And do you know what she did? She had consensual sex with another single person in a bathroom bathroom that someone stuck a camera and illegally filmed. And that was the crime she had to be redeemed from. That still to this day follows her and that's the equivalent right that's Mm. that's the sense of the equivalent yeah i have a recommendation what is it fun one (laughs) it's really really good it's kind of a bit fun and a bit heavy at times but it's a show called the newsreader and it's on abc iview now i only heard about this show because a friend of mine in britain is watching this show and they were like oh my god i'm watching the newsreader it's so good and i was like oh i haven't actually heard about that but it's a new drama it's on abc iview it's created by michael lucas you know who um worked on offspring other Mm. things directed by emma friedman 
It stars Anna Torv, who is a brilliant Aussie actress. And basically, it's set in a newsroom in the 1980s in Australia. So it's an Australian show. It's set at a particular time in a particular space in the Australian media, this kind of blokey culture. They have, interestingly, cast it quite diversely, which has got a lot of people talking because they're saying you're not reflecting the times but also good on you. So that's a really interesting side of it. But basically it follows this very good, very talented female newsreader called Helen Norville. And she's also, as well as being very good and very talented and so magnetic on screen no one can look away, just a little bit unstable, just a little bit complicated, I think we we might say. When we open, she's had blazing rows with the program director she's got issues going on at home and it follows her and the thing that's so good about it and interesting is it does it through the prism of big news stories so the first episode is all about the challenger disaster you know when the space shuttle exploded Mm. and there was that school teacher on Mm. board and then subsequent ones, um, they talk about ha- the Haley's Comet and they talk about Russell Street bombings and all these kind of big news stories of the time. It is so good. It is kind of funny, very interesting, very unconventional in the way it paints females and relationships. It doesn't just play to all the tropes that you'd think that would be there at that time, sexual harassment and things that kind of touched on, but it's not about that. It's just a bloody good show. And the costumes are incredible and the performances and the music are very 80s. It's just great. I've heard really good things. I need to watch that. It's called The Newsreader and it's on iView now. That is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. And if you want to hear more from us, The Daily Drop is exclusive to M Plus subscribers and is in your feed every Tuesday and Thursdays. An exclusive little segment, Tomorrow's Daily Drop is about a remarkable article that Lee Sales wrote that Mia in particular loved. Yes. About who trolls who on Twitter. Yes, it's all about how the worst trolls on Twitter and the ones that are driving a lot of our most respected female journalists and commentators off that entire platform are not who you would perhaps expect them to be. We'll see you on Wednesday. Bye. 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 Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.